Hi, and welcome to episode 182 of Explode Your Expert Biz Show, brought to you by gtex.org.uk. I'm your host, Simone Vincenzi, the expert strategist, and this is the podcast for experts who want to become the ultimate authority in their niche while making an impact in the world. Now, before I tell you the amazing guest that I have today, I want to tell you a bit more about our retreat, our exclusive 100K retreat in Thailand, which will happen in January 2019. Now, if you're ready to scale your business and you're already a successful coach and you want to expand your team, you want to apply for fundings, you want to raise capital, you want to uh, increase your sales, streamline your business, work on your brand, work on the entire strategy for 2019 in a luxury environment, having fun with incredible other high-level entrepreneurs, then the 100K retreat experience that we are going to give you uh, in January 2019 is the right one for you. It's only limited to 20 people. We have few uh, spots left for this incredible retreat. So you can find the link in the show notes. Click the link in the show notes to learn more and uh, then see if it's the right thing for you. And if it is, then absolutely contact me so we can have a chat about it and you can join us in Thailand for this incredible, luxurious experience that will catapult your business to where you want in 2019. Now, uh, it's time to uh, announce the, the speaker that I have today. And today I have the pleasure to interview Nick Bolton again. And uh, Nick Bolton is uh, the founder and CEO of, of Animus, an existentially oriented coach and supervisor. Nick has created Animus to embody the qualities of unknowing with an emergent approach to coaching that informs the coach training at every level. And uh, Nick has been able to create uh, what I believe is one of the most successful uh, coaching institutes and, organi- and organizations uh, in uh, definitely in the UK, but also in Europe. And uh, last week, we did an interview on how he was able then to build the business. And now he's, uh, he bought a, a, a houseboat and is going to be traveling in uh, the take and be ve- and is involved very little. In the business. So that's what we did last week. So if you haven't checked last week's episode, make sure you check it out. But this week, we're talking about how to explode your coaching business. And in particular, if you're starting out, this episode will be very important for you. In fact, with Nick, we talk about the number one reason why coaches don't make it in business, what to focus on to get clients so you can build a sustainable business, and also how to make your clients understand the value of what you provide and say yes to you. You know, sometimes it's very difficult to sell something as intangible as coaching. I started as a life coach myself, so I understand the struggle. But it's possible. There are a few ways which we show in this uh, uh, in this incredible interview, and which is not an interview; it's more a conversation, as you will hear it, uh, that we did uh, uh, live uh, uh, yesterday for his uh, Anima students. Uh, there are all the links to connect with Nick Bolton uh, here in the show notes, and also in the show notes there is the link to get uh, to look at the entire transcript of the interview. So if you like reading instead of listening, or if you want to highlight some points, uh, the link on the website is www.gtex.org.uk forward slash one eighty two. 
If you haven't subscribed yet to the show, what the heck are you waiting for? Make sure you subscribe right now and then join our Facebook group so you can connect with Nick and all the other experts that we have here and as well uh, connect with other like-minded people. Then uh, if you want to reach out to me with any idea or suggestion, let me know at simone at gtex.org.uk. And again, uh, remind me, remind you about the retreat. So there is the link in the show notes. Uh, get in touch is incredible, incredible experience and definitely see the page so you can see what I mean and uh, and look at the comments from other people. It's time to get started with Nick Bolton. Explode your coaching business with Nick Bolton, part two. Enjoy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another incredible interview with uh, Nick Bolton, the founder of uh, Animus, uh, and myself, Simone Vincenzi, co-founder of GTEx. Uh, Nick, how are you doing tonight? Yeah, good, thanks. Good, busy day today. I'm looking forward to this uh, conversation more than interview. We're just discussing how we're going to make it a bit more conversational. So yeah, looking forward to it, Simone. I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation too. Uh, guys, thank you very much for joining. Thank you for attending this interview. Uh, I'm curious if you attended the past interview as well. Can you please write something in the comment? Because we did a, a part one that was about uh, living the real four-hour work week. And uh, if you have missed that one, I'm going to send you uh, in the follow-up email. I'm going to send you a reminder with the link for the past one. So if you missed that, you can check the other one too. But tonight is all about growing your business, growing your coaching business, and getting clients. That's what we are talking about tonight. That's going to be the topic. And there's going to be a good conversation. And in particular, we are going to answer a lot of your questions. So tonight, you are going to give us the content, right, Nick? Yep. So, <laughs> I was expecting you to say a bit more. Then. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Don't ask those questions, Simone. <laughs> ah, first role of a coach. That's true. <laughs> so, now, there is a, a poll here, guys, that um, I would love, would love to know where do you need more help with? Is that packaging your services, increase your visibility, your credibility? Are you ever getting clients, identifying your niche, or create your message? I would love to know first, just to get warmed up, if you can uh, please uh, fill up that poll that you can see right now popping up like magic on your screen and uh, let me know and let us know where you need more help because we can then steer that conversation uh, in that uh, direction, in that direction. Um, now, Nick, so we're talking tonight about uh, growing your coaching uh, mm -hmm. business. Uh, why did we choose this topic? Let's do, do go a bit of a background in, in this sure, way. Sure. So, so our very first conversation we had, I don't know, a month ago, where we talked about having these conversations, initially was just one, which was going to be on the how I've grown the Animas to be this kind of business that I can step away from. But then I, I mentioned to you that I felt most coaches weren't at that stage realistically where that, that was imminent and actually most coaches were struggling with just getting started and i always feel like it's worthwhile recognizing that and stepping back to what it's like to be at the start of a business not at the end of the business um and so i just think it's incredibly valuable given our experience and everybody we've seen 
both of us as mentors, as trainers, et cetera, seeing, seeing go through the coaching world, what works, what's necessary, and so on. Um, one of the things I did say to you before we got started tonight was I feel like I'm s somewhat distant from the cold face now of starting a coaching practice, but I'm very, very, very interested and always fascinated by the principles that underpin successful businesses. And I know that you're more at the the cold face of supporting coaches to do it. So I kind of thought this is a, a nicer way to have a conversation tonight than just an interview, which would only draw up probably principles, not not the detail that some people need. Yeah, I, I like Dr. Knight, we're going to get, I like to get into the nitty gritty. Mm. Actually, how do you do it? How do you get the clients? How do you get more visibility? How do you get on television? Yeah paper uh, how do you get uh, on get speaking engagements and how do you package your service mm. in a most effective way that that's what gets me fired up that's what gets me really really excited yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I'm kind of more fascinated nowadays Simone by the psychology of business by which I mean why don't more people have successful coaching, pra coaching practices well because somehow they're not making the case sufficiently well enough to a prospective client that they can, at the right value, create the change that somebody needs. That's the psychology of businesses. There's a buyer and a seller, and somehow there's an exchange of value that makes sense in the minds of both people. And yet, given how powerful coaching is, why is there not more success in the coaching field? Because somehow people aren't connecting to the message that they, they need to convey. And so I guess I'm very fascinated by the psychology now that sits behind business rather than the so networking. About that. Yeah, go for it, yeah. I think it becomes a good conversation point. And I would love mm. also to hear your opinion, guys, because if you watch part one or even if you're new, this is a conversation that you're having. So let me know in the comment, answer the questions because I'm sure you have an opinion and we want to hear your opinions too. Now, I, I've worked now with the, a mentor, the hundreds uh, if not thousands of coaches uh, by now and uh, I started as a coach myself as a life coach myself that's how I started when uh, when I was 22 so I can talk about my personal experience I had uh, very different reasons why I wasn't making any money at all <laughs> and I wasn't getting any client at all number one no one knew me and uh, a big mistake I've made in my opinion is just to start in a complete new field without having any connection, without having any network. And uh, it takes time to establish yourself. It takes time to build that credibility, in particular if also you're quite young. Because, uh, you know, who wants to to get, say, okay, mentor my life and help me with my life. I'm a life coach and I'm 22 years old. Now, there, there is that also question that no one will tell you in your face. But it's there at the back of the mind, particularly if you are if you're young and uh, don't have much life experience, uh, um, because I think that not many people know yet uh, what the process of clean coaching is and the art of asking questions that is a non-directive non-directing process. And that's one thing. And the other part is that, uh, as you said as well, I didn't know about sales. I didn't know about market, marketing and building an audience and getting out there. And so when I was talking to people, I was going, I was saying, yeah, you know, I'm a life coach. I, I can help you with some stuff in your life and we are going to have a few sessions together. You're going to feel better. And that was, I, I believe it was not very appealing at all mm -hmm. <laughs> based on results. 
Yes, I think that when I gain the clarity in there, how do I present the results that I am going to provide to other people and how can I help them, not myself, but how can I help them quantify how important this process will be for their life and putting it in perspective, then uh, I started growing and I started getting clients. Um, that was one thing. And I think the other part is that uh, there is this conception as well in the world um, of coaching and mentoring that people want to be mentored by other people that are more successful than them. And that's something that they will not tell you in your face. But if you think about the coaches and mentors that you hired, you might have hired for a reason. <laughs> and the reason was that you wanted maybe to have a piece of them or have a piece of their life or have a piece of what they've been able to build uh, to have, have the piece of what they created or maybe their personality up in, in your life. And that's why you were attracted to that specific person. And so when I actually started meeting people in uh, a five-star hotel, instead of meeting people in Starbucks, <laughs> and I started wearing a suit instead of wearing a T-shirt, that made all the difference in terms of uh, having people actually trusting me and believing me and saying yes. So these are some of the things that I've experienced. In, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think, that, again, going back to principles, I kind of think about, well, what needs to exist um, effectively in order to build a coaching practice? Well, I think, first of all, you need to be clear on who your market is. And that doesn't mean you've got to have a niche, although I think a niche is a very powerful first step. But even if you don't have a niche, at least know, broadly speaking, who your market is, that you will naturally attract, whether it's age range or whether it's a location, whatever it might be. There's going to be something that makes you more attractive to a certain group of people than another. That's just normal. So you've got to figure, kind of figure out who your market is. But then you've got to figure out how do you get known by that market? You know, there's no you, – you, it's rather like sitting in a room wondering why you don't have a girlfriend or boyfriend when you're not going out anywhere and you're sort of expecting somebody to knock on your door and say, hey – I've heard there's a, a random person that lives in this flat and they're single. Do you fancy dating me? Of course I'm not going to do that. And, and yet somehow we do that as coaches. We don't figure out how to get known by the market we want to, to work with. However, there's more than just being known. You've got to be known to be good because you can be known, but it's like, yeah, there's a person who is not a very good coach, but they think they are. So you've got to get known to be good. But there's another dimension, uh, Simone, which most people don't realize is you've got to be known to be worth it. You could be good. But if the outcome of that goodness isn't worth what you're charging, you'll, you still won't get business. So there's really four components. Be clear on who you're trying to reach. Figure out how you reach them. Figure out how you get known to be good in, to, to do what they need from you. And figure out what the value proposition is that connects that piece of goodness to the exchange of, of, of money for your services. In other words, I often tell a jokey kind of version of this, which is if little Jimmy um, washes cars and he walks down a street, then... He, he might say to you, hey, should I clean your car? But if your car doesn't need cleaning, you're going to say no. If your car does need cleaning and you know that Jimmy's really good because somebody said, little Jimmy's an amazing car cleaner, you go, okay, how much is it, Jimmy? And Jimmy says, it's a £1,000 per car, worse, a £1,000 per wheel. The value proposition doesn't stack up, even if he might be the best wheel cleaner in the world. So there's a number of attributes you've got to figure out before you start thrashing around in the ocean of coaching business. You've got to figure out who your market is, how you reach them, how you get good at doing what they need from you and how the value proposition makes sense. Once you've got those four components working, then you've got a potential business. But without that, you're just kind of thrashing. 
I completely agree with you and uh, I would love to know what you think guys so please uh, uh, put in the comments why don't you think uh, a lot of coaches don't have successful businesses uh, or uh, what kind of struggles as well are you having because uh, this is why we are doing these interviews and these conversations is a, is a place where we kind of can drop the mask pretend that not everything is all right in fact that's also how Nick and I started a conversation today like oh how was your day yeah the problems with your team great how was your day i had problems with my team awesome <laughs> right so it's the kind of place where we can uh, watching it wasn't problems with my team it's just problems, no. in, my head. <laughs> problems in my head yeah that's just true that's, <laughs> that's the same thing i had so when we are having uh, this kind of conversation I want you also to to be honest with us in this way we can help but there is a monica uh which says i'd like to have some help with finding a consistent client flow uh, mm -hmm. Definitely going to give a good strategy for that. Tim, I love what Tim is asking. I'd like to find a reasonably priced business marketing uh, coach that doesn't bang on about six figures. <laughs> the low fives are fine for me. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that, Nick. I think sometimes they build a six figure, seven figure business is a bit overused. Um, Carol said that the fourth component that Nick shared is a tough one, um, getting known that they're worth. Yes and no. It's a t it depends whether she means tough strategically or tough tactically, and they're different things. You know, there's lots of ways to kind of tactically handle it: testimonials, case studies, you know, demo your what you do if it's a demo or both thing. Um, the strategically, it's a different thing again. It's about you. I think the first thing most coaches don't realize is how much their services are really worth. If you if you can actually, at an emotional level, connect with the power of what you do as a coach then you can start putting out the value of that. But if deep down you think what you do is talk to people, listen to people, question people, if that's what you think they're buying, then you're not going to have the emotional connection to the power of what coaching is about. How, how can we put a value on changing somebody's life if that's what we really, really, really believe we do as a coach? If we can genuinely believe we change somebody's life, it's invaluable. Then the question is how do we demonstrate the power of that at a tactical level, i.e. how can we show that that's possible? And you've got to really believe it. Like, I really think that we need, to, I think with any business, we need to start selling what we really, really, really believe we can do, not what we think we should be able to do. And if all you think you can do right now is listen to somebody intensely, then sell that as a starting point. The rest will come. But you've got to sell from a place of absolute congruence that you can deliver. Too many people starting out in coaching sell the idea of coaching being life-changing, but they don't even believe it. They don't believe that they can, they might, they might believe that coaching can change lives, but they don't believe they can change lives. In which case, it's going to come across as incongruent and they can't really put a value on it that says it's worth this much. So I think there's something about how you get really in tune with the value of coaching. And then you think about the tactics, which is testimonials and yada, yada, all the kind of the, the technical stuff. That, that's brilliant. Uh, in fact, Nick, uh, there is a, a feeding what you said just feeds in with a question or a comment from the sum. And the sum Shilkot, uh, if I'm pronouncing your surname correctly, uh, probably I'm not, but <laughs> let's assume that that's the surname. It says, uh, how do we put uh, a price on something mm. which is mostly intangible? Mm -hmm. That's a very good point. Uh, Nick, what do you say about that? And well, I, I think, I think it, it's really interesting. You've got to decide, Sam, you've got to decide what, what your time is worth to you because you're right, coaching is essentially invaluable if it can create the change that you want it to to create and that person gets that change it's almost invaluable right unless it's something like i want a ten thousand pound pay rise well it's not worth ten thousand and one pound in that case but you get my point so then the question is what's your time worth to you but a, a lovely starting point is to find out what 
what their money is worth to them. So a lovely question you can ask is, Simone, what's the fee you would need to pay me? Sorry, what's, yeah, what's the fee you would need to pay me to make this coaching feel like, oh, this has got to work? Because if, you, if, if 20 quid feels like, ah, oh, whatever, 20 quid, that's not buying commitment. But if you go, Jesus, Nick, if I, if I had to pay 150 quid, it's really got to work. That's a great starting point because it's what's going to trigger the emotional commitment to the process. And by the way, I've, I've literally mentored people to take, take that approach and it's worked so well. One lady um, asked that question to a client once or a prospect. What's the, fee, what's the fee you'd need to pay me to make yourself feel like, oh, this has really got to work? And in her head, the coach had an idea of 80 pounds, which was a lot to her. And the client, the prospect said, oh, I'm really sorry, but I think I can only afford 120, but that would be the amount that would really make me want it to work. And she's like, 120, God, that's 50% more than I was anticipating. And that's what they, that's what they went with. And I think that's a powerful starting point. The, the point is, Sam, there isn't, there isn't really a market value that you can attach to this. It's not like, okay, I can buy a Vauxhall Astra here or a Vauxhall Astra here. It's not like that. It's a totally unique pricing strategy. So I think you've got to figure out what do you want to charge that's your value or what does your client need to pay you that's going to be that's going to make it make sense to, to you and them. That's a great point, Nick. Um, I just want to give a, a bit of context because I know a lot of people know you, a lot of people don't know me. So in GTEx, uh, we started about five years ago with about with about hundred pound and uh, never run a business before. So uh, actually, I run a business before for a year, and that didn't go very well. Um, got closed because I forgot to pay my taxes. But this is, and I didn't know I had to pay taxes. That's how stupid I was <laughs> in business sense. And um, from there, we built the company. We're now we have scaled up to we have grown to half a million, and we have worked with uh, and we have other coaches now that delivers our programs for us. And, but before, for the first three years, uh, it was always uh, me and my business partner delivering the coaching and the consulting and getting clients. So something I've realized here is that uh, a coach has already all the skills uh, you need to sell effectively. Yeah. Because the number one skills you need to sell effectively is uh, questioning, is asking the right question. And uh, like you will have your questions ready when you go through your coaching qualification with Animus. They give you a set of questions that you can ask in different situations so you can be prepared. In the same situation, in the sales situation, you want to have a set of questions that prepares you to be more effective during that sales conversation. And the great question to ask is, uh, if you're, remember you're always selling the results that they want to have at the end of the coaching. So one thing that you want to explore with people is what kind of results do you want to have? What kind of problem are you facing right now? And let them talk. Then you can ask them. That's how you make it quantifiable. What would it mean to you if you don't have this problem anymore? Or what would it mean to you if you got this result? And they will tell you. And uh, you can ask if you, even if you want to make it quantifiable for them. So this is your thing. You don't have to make it quantifiable for them. Ask a question so that they quantify themselves. Like, for example, how much money would this be worth to you? Would this result be worth to you? How much more time you would save? And they will give you now all the tangible because this is, a, this is the problem. As you said, when you're not selling something which is really tangible, like confidence, like purpose, like inspiration, like uh, motivation, like feeling energized. These are feelings. <clears throat> and now remember that those feelings 
are used then to get uh, tangible results. So ask them and they will tell you. And that's a way to make the tangible, the intangible more tangible. So I hope I answer, I answer this question as well. Uh, Can we build on that a bit, Simone? Uh, I, I think we have to understand what we're doing as coaches when we help somebody feel confident, if indeed that's what we do. It's life-changing. I just can't emphasize enough that if coaching is done well and it works in that relationship, it's life-changing. So in a way, we, we have to, I think we have to tune into what that impact is that we're having on people's lives ourselves first. Um, then we need to get them to tune into what that might be in, in a one-to-one -one relationship when we're consulting with them. But thirdly, we need to, we need to then build the confidence that you can deliver. And I think that's probably where most coaches fall down is they're probably pretty good at asking questions if they can not be too scared about the sales process or the consulting process. But once they got to that point being, okay, yeah, I can do this. It's do they actually believe that this coaching thing will change somebody's confidence? If they do, it's, it's just mind blowingly invaluable, right? I mean, how would it be for you to be lacking confidence at the age of 30 and then for the next eight, 70 years of your life, have confidence. It's just, it's far more worthwhile than a Porsche, and yet we will charge infinitely less than a Porsche. And yet, why? Because somehow we're not connecting to the difference we make. And, and in a way, we're often looking for the quick fixes, the little tactics, that if I can only say this or only do this, will it get me a client? Well, that's one way to do it, and I agree that can be helpful. But I would spend a lot more time really believing in what you do as a coach, because that's the bedrock upon which you're going to build your coaching practice. Absolutely. And then from there, you from that belief, then you will be the tactics because otherwise you can have the best strategy in the world. And then if the, your confidence is not there, uh, you are having uh, like a castle on sand and uh, that will not work. So let's say now, let's assume that now you have that confidence. And uh, uh, actually, let's put it in this way. Um, I, want, I would love to share with you and then I'll, I'll ask Nick as well. How do you can get the confidence? In what you do because i remember when i started as a coach i didn't have the confidence in what i was doing either i was managing restaurants before and i started asking people questions so I was like, completely different and the same to people that was going to change their lives and so what i did i did more than 200 coaching sessions for free that's what i did and uh, on one side because uh, i didn't want to charge and i had some bad beliefs about money after i decided to make the transition uh, which uh, fortunately I sorted out, <laughs> thanks God. But on the other side is because uh, it was something new for me. And I think that uh, one way to become confident in what you do and uh, confident in the results that you provide is to do well enough so you have proof of the results. And for me, I was 22 at the time, and I decided in, a, in a one and a half years, I did more than 200 coaching sessions. By the time uh, I went charging, I started charging, and I remember... That gave me so much confidence Then I charged my first clients 50 pounds. The second client immediately, I went to 75 pounds. The third client immediately, I went to 100 pounds. And the fourth client immediately, I went to 150 pounds an hour. And then I stayed, I stayed there for about a year, year and a half before going to the 500, 600 pounds an hour in terms of hourly rates. So uh, that's what worked for me. And uh, if uh, you are the kind of person that needs a practical mm -hmm. and empirical experience, then uh, this might work for you uh, yeah. as well. Too.
Nick, do you have something to add on how then? It's funny, you, you nuanced it at the very end in a way that I think is helpful, which is if you're the kind of person that, I think there's, there's no single answer to this stuff. You know, if you're the kind of person that needs to practice a long time, then do the practice. And equally, if you're the kind of person that's just got this kind of gut confidence in their ability, great. Nobody's going to say you should practice a lot. Just go and charge and do it. I think it's about knowing yourself. You know, it's about having that self-awareness of what you need to be confident and congruent. The, the challenge, I think, is that most people, they, they follow paths in which they're not truly confident or congruent. And that's what creates the, the edge of uh, the dissonance, if you like, that makes it very hard to to grow that business on a consistent basis because deep down they're kind of back to themselves or whatever get over that by whatever means you need to whether it's practicing 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 whether it's charging 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 it's up, it's up to you but i would figure out a way to get confident and congruent because that's going to be the thing that enables you to grow something solid yeah and you can get a coach for that <laughs> so there is a, a carol which is asking a, it's a very good point which is a very linked to also the comment that joanna left and the question that joanna asked so carol said is hard to believe it it's hard to believe it when clients don't get back to you after the coaching <laughs> process is finished yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're all familiar with that <laughs> you're left with a lot of unknown results yeah interesting how would you prevent this to happen nick well i don't um but it's a really great question i understand it there's a really beautiful book called the schopenhauer cure um which was written by Irvin yalom a very ex existential psychotherapist and uh, it was a novel about a, a, a psychotherapist who who's been super successful but then later in his years he's been told he's got cancer and he's got one year left to live and he suddenly starts questioning himself has has anything he's ever done made a difference and so he seeks out the most intransigent client he could ever remember to find out did he make a difference to that man's life. Um, and it's a beautiful novel and well worth reading. But I think it's something, something that we all contend with all through our life as practitioners of coaching or set therapy or whatever it might be. And I think things like supervision and coaching for yourself is a vital component. But I also think it's again, going back to self-awareness, what do you need to feel good? I never had a great desire to personally to know what happened to clients. I feel like so long as I can feel myself, I'm doing what I do and the relationship feels positive in the moment, then what happens afterwards, I, I, I don't, I never felt a need to kind of go into, but I get why people would. What, what's, your, what's your approach to this morning? Um, for me, is a link to what Joanna said, which was, uh, in your experience, is it better to start with an hourly rate, an hourly fee, or building packages? Uh -huh. And I think that this is the, the questions are very linked because uh, I always want to have a process, even if it's a, a mini process, I want to have a process with someone with also a clear understanding from the beginning on how we are going to assess and measure the results. And most of the time, uh, I, will I will never charge for a one-off session. It will always be a process. If it's a one-off session, it will be like a half-a-day kind of process, which they will pay more money but then can be, be a one-off but we're spending more hours so longer time together so they can see a result at the end of uh, the time that we spend together mm -hmm. but i wouldn't ever recommend to sell just one because then what happens they will go and buy a package from someone else because the transformation most of the time takes time sometimes it takes a moment but sometimes it and that's my experience it also is a process Mm -hmm. where you're working on one thing and you're working on the next thing and you're working on the next thing. So even if I was working with pro bono clients, I was always making sure that we had a certain amount of sessions. And because they were pro bono, if uh, they weren't showing up or they weren't coming back, 
I would immediately fire them as clients because at the moment I wasn't serving them and they were not serving me on the pro bono process. And uh, if uh, we were going to work together or as a paid client as well, there is a minimum time of uh, one month or three months or six months that it will spend together. So then we can see during the time, we can assess the progresses, the results. And that's how I felt uh, that I was kept in the loop and also I could see that the process was working and on a business level that's also how I got the testimonials and the referrals that allowed me to have then multiple clients just coming from the from that client. Mm. That's a great answer Simone. It's interesting because I think a lot of Animas coaches um, don't necessarily work with the kind of issues that are immediately transparent in tangible results so they tend not to be on the whole performance coaches but more transformational coaches at the the inner paradigm level if you like and that can be that can take a long time mm -hmm. it can take a long time with you or it can take a long time even post you as a coach but but i think so i think there's also something about coaches trusting the process having a genuine trust and belief in the process of coaching that's not predicated upon seeing results in the world like i i've been through so i'm, I'm sure almost everyone watching has had this where you've been through a process of seeming change that doesn't actually change you in the moment. But then two years later, you look back and realize how important that was to you for where you are now, two years later. You know, I went through a master's course and it was an uncomfortable two years for me. I didn't felt like I fitted in. And yet I could look back, but that was probably one of the most transformational two years of my life. And yet had I had been asked how it was impacting at the time, it felt negative and unpleasant and all this kind of stuff. So the outcome might have felt like it doesn't weigh up at all for the cost. But somehow later in life, oh my God, that was unbelievably important to me. So there's something about having you as a coach, having the trust that this is a journey that you have to let people go on and flourish in their own time. And you have to believe that what you do is enough and not even have to see the result. That's my, that's my take on it, but I entirely get your point too. Yeah, thank you for sharing, Nick. Uh, we have uh, uh, Rachel. Uh, so now I'm, I've learned how to start marking questions here, so which is pretty cool. So now we have Rachel going in, uh, in building up from this question, which asks him, what's a great way to measure coaching impact mm. so that we can collect, uh, collate uh, such results and utilize them for future, mar future marketing business development? Do you want to start with this one? And then uh, no. I'll, uh, I'll start with this one then. No, no I don't. I'll, you go for it. I'll start with this one. Uh, there, there are two things that are really important. Uh, immediately in a... Um, uh, is having a coaching contract at the beginning. So every time uh, I would go into a coaching relationship, I have my contract, which protects me and the person I'm working with legally, because you never know what can happen. Fortunately, like God praying, nothing happens, but uh, you never know. You're working with people and you're working with people on a transformational level. And uh, sometimes things can happen. So you want to be protected yourself and also you want to lay expectation. And in the contract, I will always put that um, in the around the, the midterm and at the end of our relationship, I would ask for a testimonial and a referral. So now they know up front that uh, half the way through and at the end, I'm going to ask for a testimonial and a recommendation. So they know expectations. There is no surprise to that. When they give me the referral, I will ask them to connect me personally with the other person they think they can be a good fit for our coaching. They can have a free taster session. And regarding the testimonial, I always, in the contract, there is also explicit permission to make this testimonial public. 
and then I create a Google folder. So I have a Google folder with about now thousands, but uh, I started building day by day screenshots from uh, text messages that people were sending and I would ask him their permission. Hey, if I blurred your name, can I use this? Um, on or Facebook Messenger conversation or comments on social media or a proper testimonial which was written by them or again another way to get great testimonial is uh, because people are lazy I remember that people are lazy so I if you write the testimonial and you ask for approval uh, you will get the testimonial back because you're not asking to so you're taking something real that happened you write it yourself then you say, can I use this on my website? Some people will be comfortable to use their picture or their name. Some people will not be comfortable with that, depending on the kind of work that you are doing. But at least you can get the quote in that way. And the screenshot, I believe, are the most powerful way because, uh, you know, people in testimonial and website, anyone can write whatever they want. But if you take a screenshot, uh, again, psychologically, it gives more weight. Um, another thing that I've been doing is also if you go on my Facebook, if you look at Simone Vincenzi, I have a Facebook photo album with about 300 screenshots of testimonials there in the photo album. So someone can go on my social media, go on the profile. There is an album called Testimonials, and these are all the screenshots of the people that said how great were my events and the transformation that they got through the coaching together, the money that they made in their business and so on. So these are a few ways to use it in a more strategic level uh, right now to, to leverage and then get more clients and in particular build your credibility to the eyes of future customers. I've got nothing to add to that, Simone. It's really a very, very great answer. Um, I, I, I've got nothing to add to it. I've got something to take away from it in a sense because it's like um, I'm going to keep reiterating myself and I realize that at the risk of just being boring. But there's something about not having to predicate your marketing on the outcome of coaching because I just feel like often it's just so hard to pin down the outcome. And my my honest, honest, honest answer to all of this stuff is you've got to believe in you first. I really mean that. Like I find if if I have to rely on somebody to look at testimonials, I've already lost unless they found me through an online ad advert or something. But if they've met me, then they have to go look at testimonials. I've something's happened that hasn't worked. So I haven't communicated something at the level of strength of my belief in what I do that's meant it's fallen down. I mean, I love what you're saying, but I think it's brilliant. And I think every coach could benefit. Uh, I, 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 I disagree with you a bit on that. I do because uh, um, if people are influenced in different ways. There are some people that will just trade naturally bind to you. Other mm. people that are massively looking at social proof. Yeah. And uh, it depends, again, it's about them. It's not about you. I can be the most confident person in the world. Mm. But if that person buying process uh, is uh, looking for social proof and I don't give them the social proof, uh, I've lost the client. Yeah. So um, I think I love, I love are, what you're I think it's great. They, they are all important on this. Mm. Uh, we have uh, another one, which is... Uh, Oh, Freya. Okay. Sharing rates and packages online versus asking people what the fee is mm -hmm. and what and would they need what would they need to pay to to feel yeah, yeah. is there a best way? Uh, you can you can answer this one. You can start with this one. Well, there's not a best way. There's the right way for you. Um, personally, I've always I've always 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 prefer putting my fees 
transparent. In fact, somebody was criticizing Animas the other day on Facebook, uh, not a customer, but like a prospect, saw a Facebook ad and they go, what a ripoff, da, 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 da. And I answered and said, there's no ripoff here. Everything is super transparent on the site. This is just a way for you to meet us. Um, I've always been very transparent. I've never said you have to come to an introduction day to just find out how much our course costs. And the same for me as a coach. Personally, I say my time is worth this. I want to work with people who can afford that, and I'm good with that. And if I lose people because of that, then I'm fine with that. The, the, the other strategy of like tailoring it and saying, what's this worth to you? It's just a different strategy. It's not better or worse. It's just you have to choose what's the, the right one for you. Yep. I'm uh, I'm uh, with uh, I'm with Nick with this uh, um, and uh, also if you're going uh, it's about understanding uh, the way uh, you create leads for your business and where you want people to go. So for example, I don't have uh, any of my prices on the website because uh, people can't buy courses on the website because I want people to come to my events first. So they will come to the event and the only thing I'm promoting on my website are my free webinars and my free events. There is not even a way to get a free consultation. At the beginning, because I was running consultation, yes, that's what I was offering. But right now, what I want is to people to come to the free event or the webinar so then they can get to know me, they can get to know my personality, they can get to know the content that I'm sharing and I can build a reputation and I can build credibility to their eyes. And then at that point, I will say, okay, this is how you can work together. And sometimes I will make a paid offer and I will make the price there with an, with an offer or a discount. Some people believe in discounts. Some people will never offer discounts. It's completely up to you in the way you choose to run it. And they both works, both strategy work. But if you offer discounts, offer discounts. If you never offer discounts, then never offer discounts. Kind of pick one because otherwise, people can get very different messages and then they will not trust you anymore. If you say, I never offer discounts and then you offer a discount. It's always about sticking to your word in this case. And then, uh, um, or sometimes I would just say, come to the event, they will come to the event. And then at that point, I will offer a consultation, but they already know who I am. They already know the price. And then there is a consultation for them to buy. So think that when you're structuring your business, it's about understanding where do you want people to go and putting the emphasis on that. And then if you want to be super transparent and filter people, because putting the prices on, on, a, on a marketing level is a filtering process, which means I'm filtering immediately the people that uh, cannot afford to buy it. But then I'm attracting the people that can afford to buy and they know already how much it is. Well, if you don't put it there, you are attracting more people, but then you're going to be ready to have conversation also with people that cannot afford to buy or to have other different products or services like an online course or a membership site that can then be more affordable for the people that will not be able to afford your one-to-one -one services. So that's, that's my answer to, to this question, I'm afraid. Okay. Before you go into another question, Simone, I want to step into yeah. a bit of structure for business um, because a lot of these questions are predicated on the idea that you've got a prospect in front of you or you've attracted a prospect to to look at your services and actually one of the things we need to think is that a lot of coaches don't know how to do that and so many of the guys on this call probably have done on kickstart your coaching practice which is a a, a one-day course we run um on starting a business and what i created was like an acronym which is what i felt were the the foremost 
useful, simple, and most effective ways to get clients as a one-to-one -one coach. And they were, and it spells snap. We've actually extended the snaps, but I don't really believe in the last S, but my team liked it. But it was a S is speaking, N is networking, A is advertising, by which I mean online ads and Facebook ads, Google ads, etc. And P, which is the most important when you're first starting, is personal contacts and referrals. So it does, it, it, to be honest, the order really should be P -N P N S A is probably the real order of priority. Um, and the last one, which my team have had, is S for social media. I, I've never, I'm still not convinced by social media as a as a one to one client getting strategy. But you know, I'm up to be convinced. But either yeah. way, I think those. those <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you it works. <laughs> okay, great. Okay, so good. Uh, that's because I'm an old fuddy-duddy. <laughs> but but uh, so snaps, speaking, networking, advertising, personal contacts and referrals, and social media. Uh, and I think that what I would suggest is that if you're going, as a, as a new coach, I would pick one, maximum two, from that list and master them. And really, really figure out how to use them well. I think every coach should be thinking of personal contacts. When I've... The nearest I ever got to building a one-to-one -one coaching practice because my my coaching sort of landed within an existing business I had. But it, but the nearest I got was one as a financial advisor. And I was a commission-only financial advisor and I had to find all my own clients and sell to them, et cetera. So, and it was back before-ish, before the internet-ish. I used to go down to the library, get the electro roll off the library shelf, photocopy it, and then manually type letters to every person down a particular street, go and manually post a letter in the letterbox saying, in a week's time, I'll be walking down your street, knocking on your door. And then literally I'd knock on the door and say, hey, I'm Nick Bolton, financial advisor, da, da, da. And I used to joke that I should name the streets after me because I had so many remortgages and endowment policies down, down the streets. Um, but but, the, but the, the first thing I was ever told to do working for, that, working for this organization as, as a commission only was make a list of every single human being in your life and then split them to three people. One is people you're never going to do business with because they're your mom, they're your dad, and you're not going to go, hey, mom, fancy, whatever. Then there's people who could refer you, but they're not going to be your clients. It could be friends or that's relatives like cousin. And then the third one are people who could definitely be your client, milkman, hairdresser, whoever. And then literally just create this three-column list. And that was my starting point as a financial advisor. And if I were to start a one-to-one -one coaching practice from scratch, that would be the very, very, very first thing I'd do is list every human being I can think of and figure out, are they untouchable? Are they referrers? Or are they potential clients? And then start working my way through that list. And then that starts to get you your clients. And then you start to build the others on top, which is great. Now I can go networking. Great. Now I can go speaking. Great. Now I can, et cetera, et cetera. But that's, that's how I would start if I was starting from scratch. Uh I believe I have nothing to add on that. I think it's uh, the best way, and uh, that's how I started too. Uh, that's the advice that was given to me as well when I was starting uh, the very first time, and it was just getting in touch. And uh, I gotta say, it was it was not comfortable at the beginning because I wasn't used to contact people, and uh, that's part of the process. Yeah. Um, the more people you contact, the more confident it becomes. Just second nature. But you got to get over if you feel that resistance. And I know a lot of people feel, in particular, uh, if they never worked in a sales role or in a commission-only role, uh, then there is that resistance in, am I going to annoy them? Are they going to say no? And that fear of rejection kicking in. And uh, something that I've learned, and it was a brilliant sales trainer that told me, and he said, um, every no is getting closer to a yes. So if you know you're going to have a yes every 10 people, 
and uh, the yes is worth a thousand pounds, let's say, then it means that every person that says no is actually paying you a hundred pounds. <laughs> and so every time someone was saying no, I was like, thank you for my hundred pounds. And at the beginning, it was like, this is complete crap. Yeah. But <laughs> then <laughs> I started believing it after a while. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm enjoying the noise. And now mm. even every no is like, thank you for my 100 pounds. Funny enough, there was a, a strategy that went around the internet a while back for coaches, which was get to 100 no's. And uh, yeah. quite a few of my, the, the guys I was mentioning at the time really picked up on this. And they went on this big mission to get as many no's as they could. Not, not as in deliberately getting no's but just clocking up the conversations that get to a no, but sometimes get to a yes. And it was like, it was positively reframing the no. And I think it's a you know, wonderful idea just to reframe the emotion. Absolutely. Um, there is something, guys, you see that there is the poll here in the, uh, somewhere in the, on your screen. So if you haven't, because uh, I'm going to close it in a moment. So if you haven't uh, uh, clicked on the poll, then uh, and uh, uh, let me know where do you, let us know where you need help, then please do it right now because I'm going to close it in a minute. There is something that we told to at the very beginning, and actually Unique got, to add it, uh, got me to add it to the poll, which was increased visibility and credibility. Now, I see that a lot of people here are putting that they want help in getting clients. Mm. But it's very difficult to get clients if you don't have an audience. Because yeah. uh, after a while, then even the people that you, you've done your tree list, and then you contact the people, and then they are done. So something which is really important, and that's something that uh, a lot of uh, people will not do or they don't focus in doing is to consistently getting in front of new audiences, is to consistently getting in front of new people that never heard about you before. And there are a few ways in which you can do in that, which I'm going to explain right now, building on the acronym that, uh, that Nick gave before. But one of the, this must be one of your main priorities, because otherwise you arrive to a point that even if you post every day, or three times a day, or 10 times a day on your Facebook, but on your Facebook, they're only your mom, your sister, your cat, and your dog. Then they're not going to buy. You can, so you can keep posting, but if the only people that see are the people you're already connected with, then again, you don't get clients. So I would give them, a, a, for me, what uh, worked really well. Uh, and I think that is the, the best strategy to get clients uh, uh, is, uh, is doing speaking. Is speaking mm -hmm. about what you're doing. And uh, but not speaking at your, not creating your own events because unless you have already an audience, unless you have already people, or you have a marketing budget to put on paid advertisement. I mean, Nick and I both know running events <laughs> that getting people in the room <laughs> is not as easy <laughs> as it looks like because uh, there are a lot of factors that are happening in order to get someone even attending a free event. So if you're starting out, don't gamble with your own money in particular if you don't have already an audience ready to come to your event. When you're going to networking events, ask to be the speaker there, or ask to be the speaker to relevant events or the chamber of commerce, or you'll find networking events in uh, maybe in your local area or business networking events, and, and they always have a speaker. And you can start practicing there. You can become a good speaker practicing in Toastmaster. But what speaker gives you, and that's why I love it, it is because it puts you face-to-face -face in front of the right people. And, you know, everything you're doing online is great and is scalable because 
you know, I'm here, I'm here in my t-shirt, uh, in my living room, and Nick is there looking all sexy. Uh, but uh, when we are, there is still a screen between us. So there is less human connection. You can connect with me, you can connect with me, with Nick, but you will connect way more on a human level mm-hmm. if you see me and Nick in an event face-to-face. And so as a priority, and that's something that I made myself do, and it reaped incredible results, is just to speak at as many events as possible. Yeah. Finding opportunities, getting out there, and it gave me two things. One was the confidence in speaking. Also, I mean, I'm Italian, and when I started, my English was pretty poor. <laughs> so it also, for those of you that are not English native speakers, uh, it gives you also the ability and the confidence to then speak in front of an audience and make yourself understood from an audience. And then on top of that, people are coming to you. Uh, people are there and they say, oh, my God, I'd love to connect with you. I love what you shared. And that's a, a great point because now you don't have to anymore. You know, introduce yourself, what you do. The conversation becomes, how can we work together? How can I help you without the whole introduction before? So that's why I absolutely love speaking. And um, if you're not living in a city, because I know that also speaking is very geographically related. I mean, if if you are in Essex uh, or whatever, I don't know where, where is a small town in the UK? Nick, a small town in the UK. Goodness, um, I don't know. What's it called? Uh, Ely. Ely. Like, very neat. Like, oh, I never heard of it, right? So it <laughs> must be pretty small. And uh, it's very difficult also to find a lot of opportunities to speak. So if you are living in a small place, um, then you can apply the same strategies, but online. So you are speaking to other communities. Let me, let me just interrupt with that, because actually I think small towns are one of the best opportunities. Why? Because people don't think you can speak at a small town like everyone thinks you could be in London <laughs> or Edinburgh. And, uh, it's, it's so true. I remember there was a lady who trained with us who wanted to do, do coaching with mums. And I don't remember how, I think she came to a little evening thing I did on sales. And I said to her, you should go to mother care. And funny enough, she was in, in, I think she was in Colchester or Chelmsford, one of the, the seas of Essex. And, um, and I said to her, go to mother care and just say, I would like to run an evening session for, for your customers talking about how, to, I can't remember what the subject was, but something to do with parenting, not coaching, but it was to do with parenting and mindfulness or something. And they said yes, and I think she ended up doing three evening talks for mother care. So in a sense, she had created her own, but it was a free, it was essentially free, and the market was done by the shop. And mate, it's so easy. Go to the local university, go to the local school, go to the local library, go to the local uh, Rotary Club, go to the local, like, it's unbelievably rife with opportunity because because it's not saturated by coaches thinking they should be part of the next you know interesting talks meetup or the next GTEx meetup. It's like it's 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 virgin ground for people to do stuff that it's not normally done in that local area. Very good point. Absolutely. So if you are in a small town, hey, take the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then if you want to build a business online, then uh, you, because uh, some people, for example, my wife, Lovelda, she wants uh, her business to be mainly online. And there are people that uh, actually don't like being in with a lot of other people all the time, like myself, for example. And uh, you can apply the same strategy by getting in front of other online communities. So the most important thing is that you find uh, always uh, new people 
to speak in front of and to communicate your message uh, with. And another thing called talking about credibility is being interviewed on podcasts uh, or doing mutual interviews with other people because it builds your profile and also gives you a, a practice ground as well for your material. In fact, someone said, um, uh, okay, actually, I would love Nick to answer this question, uh, which was, uh, what if you don't like speaking? Mm-hmm. What if you do? Because we talked a lot about the importance of communication and speaking here, speaking there. What if you don't like speaking? Is there still hope? <laughs> That's what I'm hearing the, the, the subtext in this. In this. I think you've got to work your strengths. And I think most coaches tend to be good people, people, which is why they're coaches. That doesn't make them good speakers, but it at least gives them the fertile ground to build speaking skills on, I would say. However, if you don't currently have those skills, whilst not giving up on them, I think you've got to go, what am I good at? What can I do? And that could be networking. It could be building one step at a time by referrals. You know, it's like, but there is a reality to this, which is you've got to find something that works to get you clients. You can't because well, I'm not good at net. I'm not good at networking. I'm not good at speaking. I'm not good at online advertising. Can I be a coach? Well, probably not. Like if you're not willing to find something that you can master, which will get you clients, then the reality is you won't get clients. I don't think speaking has to be the one, but I wholly agree with you that it's one of the most powerful. But I also think so is advertising on Google. If you've got great website skills and great website and that sort of thing and good consultation skills, you don't have to speak. But yes, of course, it's unbelievably powerful if you can. Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts, Simone? Uh, I found that uh, the industry is going in a way where people, before hiring a coach, uh, they it's not someone that is not a plumber right is not someone that uh, you say oh wow like i got a leak uh, in my sink uh, and my sink is leaking and i need to hire someone i find the first number and i call it and generally people before hiring a coach or or, or a mentor they want they are looking for they, they want to see them before they want to see them first that has been my uh, my experience uh, a lot of times uh, it doesn't always work this way but I think about a good 80% of the time. In fact, if they like your website as well, they are going to look on YouTube on some of the content that you share. They're maybe they're going to go on your Facebook page. And if they can see a video about yourself talking about what you do, the chances that this person then is going to contact you, immediately they're going to go up because then they are going to have a like also in your personality in who you are. And like, uh, you didn't see, I, I can send you guys, my very first video I've ever did is out, so because uh, I, it's not public anymore, because now otherwise it will damage my brand and what I'm doing right now. But I was basically like this. Hi, my name is Simone and uh, I am Italian. So that was my very first video, I was like this. but. 10 minutes of this, right? <laughs> it, oh, I cannot even think about that anymore. But again, with practice, you become better. So I agree with Nick saying, find if speaking is not your strength right now, find what works for you right now. So if it's connecting with people one-to-one, great. If it's getting referrals, great. But also build the speaking as one of your skills to have because, uh, no, you you... When you go into the coaching industry, you're going kind of the thought leader industry. 
and you will be asked to be on interviews or maybe you will be asked to be on television or to write an article for a magazine and those speaking skills they're going to become useful not only to get clients but also to become more visible and build more opportunities for yourself and never know where they're going to get you never know where they're going to get you I, I totally agree with that. Let me just add one more thing to this particular conversation around if you can't speak, how can you get clients? I think, number one, I'd say you've got to recognize that you have to have something. I've already said it, but I'm going to say it again. You have to have something that works to get clients. There's no point just going like, oh, I can't do any of these things. Tough. You've got to figure one of them out. However, it doesn't have to be speaking. It could be you become such an authority in a particular area that, that people can read so that might be a longer term strategy. But if you've written enough that's genuinely good and genuinely your thought leadership pieces, I'm like, oh God, if I'd love to work with Simona, even if they've never heard Simone speak, I'd love to work with him because his stuff is great. They'll, they'll be honored to work with Simone. That, <laughs> but seriously, that can work. Like, I'm, I'm sure all of us follow certain people online. Go imagine working with that guy, it'd be amazing because they know so much about X, Y, Z. So that's one other thing. But the third one, if you can't get any marketing strategies that work, then you need to get somebody to do it for you, by which I mean it could be you end up being one of the, I forgot what they call them now, but like essentially an app placement coach. So you go to one of the HR consultancies in the city and you sign up to be on their registry and they place you into organizations. Now, of course, you have to have the right background. You need to come from a corporate background. You've got to be credible. You can't spend your life dishwashing and then say, can I be one of your coaches? But if you have the right corporate background, you could easily sign up for one of those. I forgot what is it, app placement? But anyway, what, like what, these HR kind of firms. I don't know how they call them, but I know they, they yeah, exist. Yeah. I, I don't have a background, so I never looked into them. <laughs> yeah, well, no, actually me neither. But I know people who do, and they get a lot of business. And they pay, I think they get paid a decent fee, but 50% of it goes to the organization. But nonetheless, they got a decent practice out of that. If you literally cannot market yourself, if you don't have any of the skills, then find somebody that can do that for you, that would work for you. This is brilliant, Nick. Um, it goes back to the interview, to the last interview, when we told that also being in business is not for everyone. Mm -hmm. Also, you want to make it, you want to have a choice as well. Do you want to have a coaching business where you become a business owner or entrepreneur and coaching is the product or service that you deliver? Or are you just happy not to be on a business, not to have your own business, but be self-employed and have different contracts with organizations? Yeah. Well, I've been, that's how I started because I wasn't making any money from my own business while I was keeping traction. I started coaching in schools, but I wasn't going in schools. I was, I had four different organizations and I'm happy to send you the names, guys. I had four different organizations that were sending me in schools as a trainer for their programs. They were paying me a hundred. 20 to 250 pounds for half a day and I was then delivering their courses in schools and that's actually was my very first experience and that's what paid the bills mm. while I was learning how to do event while I was learning public speaking build my client base because if you're starting out as well you know your business is going to be like this for the first three to five years up until you arrive to a place where you know you're going to have sustainable clients and you build sustainable good cash flow you have recurring income depending on your strategies but you got to also to have a way where you you are not uh, like I did unfortunately I made myself homeless because I was very stubborn and I said I'm going to make it by myself I'm not going to get any other income and I'm 
you know, I was like, believe and you can achieve. Yes, believe and you can achieve, but you got to also pay your bills. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I wouldn't recommend anyone to just go into business completely blind. Uh, so or have a source of income, maybe like a full-time or part-time job while you're building it or getting different contracts with other organizations that are paying you to be there, which gives you that peace of mind and gives you that space for you not to have stress about finances and grow your business from a place of abundance rather than from a place of, oh my God, I need to have that client, otherwise my kid is not going to eat tomorrow. It's not a good place to build a business at all. Yeah, and and tying on to this, um, the, the, the kind of that you said that business does this. Well, the reason it does that is a because that's the nature of building something new, but also because often coaches and many, many, many different types of business owners focus on what they do, which is coaching or plumbing or bricklaying or whatever the thing is, not the thing that sits behind how they get the client. And they they sporadically do the stuff that generates clients rather than systematically does the stuff that generates clients. And the thing I'd say for somebody who really wants to succeed as a coach, they've got to they've got to systematically do the work that gets clients rather than just occasionally when it suits them, when they feel like it, when they feel happy that day. They've got to day in, day out, do the stuff that's not the coaching, but the client generation activity and choose one or two things they can do well and do them over and over again. We talk often about critical drivers in Animas and the critical driver is the thing that happens upstream of the end result. Because often we say, oh, I want to work, I want to get clients. Well, get clients is the result. It's not a thing you do, it's a result. And it's a result of stuff that happens upstream. The critical driver is what has to happen one month, two weeks, one week ahead of the thing called get client. That if you can see it's not happened a month ahead or two weeks ahead or one week ahead, you know you're not gonna get client. So what do you need to do to get that upstream activity going again? Do you need to do more networking? Do you need to do more speaking? Do you need to do more emailing? Do you need to do more, put spend more on advertising? Like what's the thing upstream that's going to end in this thing could get clamped? 100%. I agree with you 100%. Um, and uh, is uh, made that mistakes many times <laughs> for the first three years. And then uh, I got the lesson <laughs> and it becomes a priority. It becomes yeah. a priority because uh, as Nick said, what you do today might give you clients three months from now or two months from now or next month. So mm. it's important to keep it consistently as part of your daily or weekly routine yeah. to put what you're deciding to do into getting clients. And uh, the way that we decided, I don't know, I think uh, Nick decided to, with Animas as well, it was similar strategy. For us, uh, it was pointing everything on events. And uh, we were doing uh, events over events over events and to the point where we did more than 200 events every single year. Um, they were small, they were like two, three people at the beginning coming. But that consistency, first of all, gave me that speaking skills and also safer practice ground, but also got people to know us more and to have those referrals. Is that the same that you did with Animus when you started? Yeah, probably. I, I, yes, I would say so. I would say that we had a very simple event strategy, which was our introduction evening when I first started, and now it's an introduction day. What changed was how we got people to that introduction day. Because often people say, well, do events. That's not a strategy, that's a part of a strategy. Like how you get people into the event is also part of the strategy. Um, and and people that come into customer, that's another strategy. Well, that's another how you then create a sales <laughs> strategy. But when I first started, we I spent, so I, you know the story, I sent, I sold my canal boat for 15,000 quid and I had this water 15,000 quid under my, under my bed. 
I was sharing a room with my mate's ex-wife. And then ever so often I'd get like £2,000 out and I'd spend it on an exhibition space at One Life Show, which doesn't exist anymore, Mind Body Show, Mind Body Spirit Show, Yoga Show, um, Business business Show. And all my 15000 just like this um, because I was spending on shows and I hated those shows. You know, I really hated standing in a, in a cubicle with some of my people who knew me going, hey, are you interested in coaching? I hated it. But it was the only strategy I knew that would get people into my events. But over time, I started to learn about AdWords and, and Facebook was still relatively new. And I don't think Facebook has existed when I started. Um, but bit by bit, we transitioned from real events, uh, real expos, sorry, into online advertising. Oh, my goodness, what a, what a happy move that was when I finally went, no more expos. I hated them, but I did them for probably like four years. Oh, dreadful stuff. Wow. But, so that shifted for me was how we got people into our events. Yeah, and uh, uh, for us, a great way to get people into your events uh, is to speak at other people's events. Mm-hmm. Fun is the cheapest way because I didn't even have the money for paying for online ads. So <laughs> I went uh, and I spoke at other people's events and other people networking, whatever I could, and then say, hey, I'm running an event next Tuesday. Come along. And we started from evenings. Then we started building our first alpha day event. Then uh, we started building our first full day. Then we build on a weekend, then on three days, then uh, and, and moving on on that. So let me just jump in actually very quickly because you've just made me think of something. The one thing we've not talked about, which I think is useful, is joint ventures and strategic partnerships. And that might sound very grandiose for somebody starting off. It's not. Um, any more than speaking could be speaking for five people at Mothercare. Um, I, I once mentored a business coach. Uh, he was a new. He was a, he'd been a plumber for. He ran a plumbing business. Sorry, no building business. That's right. He ran a building business for years, and he wanted to become a coach, business coach. But he had no idea how to get clients, and he was Polish. And then one day, he discovered an accountant whose sort of primary database of, of clients was mainly Polish. And he said, "Why don't we do um, a workshop together? You invite all your customers, and I'll teach them." marketing skills, etc. And he went from zero to £20,000 overnight. When I say 20000 he made £20,000 sale to one customer from that event. And he'd been struggling to get clients for ages. That one joint venture with his accountant was all it took to get him started. And so sometimes joint ventures and strategic partnerships can be as simple as somebody you know that you agree to do business with. This is such, and that's what we are doing tonight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> This is uh, why we decided to partner up and uh, to, to work together, to collaborate. Because uh, I always loved what uh, Animus and what Nick does. And uh, I managed to, to chase and to, 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 to pester Nick enough to, to, <laughs> to have a meeting. <laughs> there was a bit of persistence there. But then we clicked and we did the first interview. It went really well. And now we're doing the second one. And the purpose of this is uh, for you guys to see what kind of help do you need on a business level so then we can help and support you. Um, that becomes uh, what Nick said, like literally in practice right now. There is a one question I got. There is a half Italian, Caterina. Hi, Caterina. Ciao, Caterina. We got a half Italian. Uh, um, any tips at the moment? This is a very long message. The, the, the summary is... Uh, any tips on narrowing down my message and keeping it clear? Oh, goodness. That, that, that depends on so many factors. But So the first thing I'd want to know is, broadly speaking, who's the audience? Um, but I would say that if I can answer that at a generic level, I would say try to identify what the, the most significant pain points are for that market. You don't really have a message. 
to the market if you don't have a market, in which case the message has to come from who you are. So in a sense, you can say the message has got to come from who you are or who they are. One of those two has got to dominate the message. So if you have a market in mind, I'll figure out what does the market need from you that you can speak to and that you can deliver against. There's no point speaking to something and going, by the way, I can't help. Like you've got to be able to help with that pain point. That's if you have a market you can identify. If you're more of a generic life coach, then tune into what makes you different. How, how is it to work with you rather than Caterino? Is that, I, I doubt that's a masculine male, <laughs> Italian, like Caterino. Caterino. What's the difference that makes the difference for you to be the coach rather than someone else? Um, and tune into that message. But I would say the message has got to be, got to be dictated either by the market you're serving or by who you are. Uh, I completely agree with uh, with what Nick said, Katerina. Is um, I found that the the easiest way because um, if you uh, don't have, it depends on how many clients you got. So I think there are different stages in refining your niche. Uh, um, if you already have uh, had a lot of clients or a lot of consultations, uh, at least over fifty different people, I would recommend. You can look at the common patterns of the people that you enjoyed the most working with and what the and the people that had also the money to pay you and the, the people that really, really had the, they really wanted your help. So if they really wanted your help, you enjoyed working with them and they had the money to pay you, you can find the common patterns and that can become your niche. If you don't have yet those kind of people, you can still start refining and fine-tuning your message and i think uh, i believe what nick believes that you know the word niche is overrated at the beginning uh at the moment at the beginning just starts talk to people say what you do and then you will have some people that somehow they will join and they will come to you and then uh, you will start refining from there i found a great way to interact with people is that a lot of people they will hire a coach because they find that they kind of are like themselves or they overcame something that they want to overcome now. So if you're thinking about your life and think about, okay, what is one of the biggest challenges that I've ever overcome? And there are out there other people that want to overcome that challenge. Now, if you start from that point, it gives you a few different advantages. One, you can understand what they're going through. So it will be, I think, easy and easier to coach them and to give them results. Secondly, there will be a trust in build because now they can say, well, you have done it. You can, you, can you help me? And also in your material, it can be also, I've done it, you can do it too. So there are these different advantages that at the very beginning give you a massive difference rather than doing like a full-blown market research, which will happen with the, the clients that you have. So for that's how I started. For me, one of the biggest struggles I had was to find my purpose in life, find my purpose. Then I created a nice methodology around helping other people, finding their purpose, good program around it. And that's what I started helping people with. And then uh, the people that then were coming to me, they were asking me, oh, but you built, like you're making six figures a day in your seminars and you're making this and you're now built this community with hundreds of people. I'm a coach, I want that. And the majority of people, they were buying, coming to us, buying purpose, but what they wanted, they wanted business training. And so literally we changed the whole entire company because uh, we understood that the people that we attracted actually were buying something just because they wanted something else and we just made it more clear. 
say, okay, we can help you then start your coaching business and I'll teach you, make you avoid the mistakes that I've made and teach you like the, the best strategies that you can navigate the market right now because I love business and I'm obsessed about this industry. So <laughs> I'm always testing something new. And that was my journey. And this message resonates with people uh, that are working in the coaching industry because they see, well, he has done it. I, I did it, you can do it too. So you, you can see how that, that works mechanically. Uh, and it also puts less pressure on you. And you start from the person that you know best, which is yourself, <laughs> instead of guessing. Nika, do you have anything to add on this or? No, I think I, uh, I was going to do a Rob thing because Rob always does this. He always says no, but just <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, I do. Just one small thing, which I think you really, 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 really got to believe your message. Yeah, that's all I'd say is that just you know, don't come up with some marketing gump that you don't believe in. Make sure you believe in what you're saying, and, and if you do, you'll communicate it. And if you don't, you'll be incongruent. Absolutely. Well. Guys, if you don't have any other question, uh, what I would love to share, what I would love you to share is uh, what was your biggest learning from uh, this uh, interview? We did uh, from this conversation. Let's not even call it interview. From this conversation. I would love to know what was your biggest takeaway, what was the thing that uh, stood out the most from you, and also what actions are you going to take? Because uh, remember, you can learn a lot of different stuff, but let's bring it down to earth. What is one thing that you can do as a result of this? I'm curious. Let me know because and let us know because we want to see the impact. <laughs> Talking about how do we measure the impact <laughs> that we have. I love to see the impact that this conversation had. Uh, I definitely had a great time. Uh, I don't know about you, Nick, but I definitely had a great time tonight. Yeah, it's been fun. It's, it's interesting for me because I'm just not at this cutting edge, the, the, the cold face of coaching anymore. And so it's fun to revisit it and remember, you know, what is it people contend with when they first start out? And it's, it's sometimes easy to forget that. But actually, that's the truth of starting a business is you're right at the cutting edge where getting your first client is the most important thing to you. Um, and, and it is, you like, you've got to get that person. But equally, you want to start to build the structures that support you to get them again and again and again and again and again. Uh, absolutely. Do you have a while uh, um, the attendees are uh, the guys here are writing their biggest takeaways? We already have one coming in, so I'm going to read them in a few minutes. So please keep writing. Um, can you leave us with the uh, with the final words of wisdom from uh, the Nick Bolton? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if we can have a final words of wisdom here for, to wrap up. Oh, I, yeah, my final word of wisdom. If somebody can do it, so can you. Um, unless you can existentially appraise yourself and realize that you are not the same as that person in some fundamentally different way. But if somebody can do it, then so can you. And, and I really believe that's true. Uh, and I think you've just got to then go like, what are they doing that I'm not? What are they doing that I'm not prepared to put the work in at? Or what, am I what are they doing that I haven't bothered learning? Or what are they doing that I haven't had the courage to do myself? Or what are they doing that I haven't found the time to do? Or whatever. But there's absolutely no reason why somebody can build a successful business, coaching business, and you can't. Not, not, not in any absolute sense. So it's absolutely doable. I just, I cringe when people say, is the market saturated? Is that no? How many really successful coaches are there? Well, that doesn't come down to the market. It comes down to the number of coaches really prepared to do what they need to do. But it's all learnable. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very much for sharing, Nick. And uh, for me, my last one is uh, to have a plan. 
and uh, to learn about business. Because if you want to have a coaching business, now you've learned about coaching. Now you got to learn about business. And uh, that was the biggest difference that made for me. When I took uh, the coaching business as a business, seriously, and I started learning about uh, visibility, how do I get into large publication like Forbes or Entrepreneur Magazine? How do I uh, get uh, to interview in podcasts? How do I keep getting clients? How do I film my events? How do I get people to say yes? Because uh, as Nick said, the, first, the very first step is having your confidence. You can have the best business strategies, but if you don't have absolute belief in what you do, even the best business strategies are not going to work. But once you have that, then the next step is, okay, now instead of having that passion and like I, I was, I felt like I had a lot of passion, but I was going in 5,000 different directions and there was no focus in what I was doing. Once I started having a clear strategy and also giving myself the time and practicing the fact of being a business owner and being in business, then clients started coming, client after client, and we built uh, the organization that GTEx is today. So this will be my uh, my biggest my biggest advice piece of advice on on the topic. And uh, guys, uh, as uh, we said as, as well, this is also one of the reasons why we're doing this uh, this conversation. It is because uh, now we decided to work together with Animas and GTEx, and we are here to help you. So I'm going to send you a follow-up email with a few different trainings. You can see I've got a different online training, a free training that you can access so that you can help and can help you put more structure into your business, identify your niche, creating your program, your services, uh, so then you can make this, have this journey easier. And also if you want to work with us, there are going to be also different options on how you can attend our paid trainings, we have one coming out, coming out actually this very weekend on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and um, and also the one that we are going to put in in the new year because we are going to take a break for <laughs> for December for the festivity. Um, I just want to read some of the some of the comments here that uh, uh, that that are raining. Uh, make it rain here in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> we have Carol said not biggest but love the tip around the screenshot thanks you're welcome trisha uh, said i'm glad to have a reminder that the most important thing is to do what makes me feel good and not compare myself to others amen to that thank you trisha joanna key takeaways focus don't do everything pick one two things that you do well and be consistent every week also love the joint venture idea Great point. Thank you very much, Joanna. Katerina said, I love your enthusiasm. I'm sure he was talking about Nick. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> then Sarah, uh, key takeaway, contracting around referrals and testimonials. Never heard this being done before. You're welcome, Sarah. I never heard this too when someone told me that. <laughs> uh, Carol, quote of the evening, if someone can do it, so can you. Yes. Freya, Polish accountant and builders part a lot of ideas. Love the distinction of messages coming from who you are and who they are. I'm not into pain points, but I love myself, so that works great. <laughs> uh, Katerina, really believing in your messages. Joanna, being really clear on your audience. Lucy, build your approach around your values and transparency of fees. 
Venice uh, is like Venice in Italy, uh, or is a bit different. The conversation has been really helpful. The biggest takeaway was to be confident in what I have to offer. As a new coach, I also like the approach of allowing your client to think of the monetary value, the emotional investment is worth it. Absolutely. Claudia, trusting the process and not looking for immediate change and the idea of screenshots and testimonials. And then Nick, it starts with you, with your own personal contact and personal challenges you have faced. That's how you can grow and be authentic. And with this, I think we can, uh, we can wrap up for tonight. Thank you so much, Simone. And thank you guys for listening to us talking. Uh, I want to thank uh, Nick for, uh, for the opportunity, for uh, this great conversation. Had a great time and the opportunity to share this with you guys, because uh, I believe that we are, we are in this to help each other. That's uh, what we are here for. We can share our knowledge, we can share our path, and, and the beauty of this industry is that uh, we actually are making a change in the world, that we are changing people's lives, that we are changing the world. So commend you for the work that you're doing. Uh, I know it's, uh, it's hard work. <laughs> <laughs> Nick and I are practicing every day so <laughs> and have been practicing for a while. So thank you very much for everything. I wish you a fantastic evening and uh, maybe we will do a part three. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave you a cliffhanger there. <laughs> <laughs> I love marketing. Um, <laughs> all right, guys. See you next time. Bye-bye, guys. Next time.